Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode. Today we're going to get a little more scientific, if you will. We're going to, you're going to get some insight into how I approach compulse counseling. And I don't know if you've heard before, but different therapists have different theories or what we would call approaches, ways that we view um, working with families and approaching, attacking whatever that issue is, whatever people are bringing into the room. We all have different styles and approaches and modalities that we use to dealing with that situation. And so I'm going to share with you one of the theories, or in other words, what approach I use when working with couples. It's called the sound relationship house theory, and we'll get more into, into the episode, but it really is sharing nine keys about a relationship. Um, the nine keys to essentially having a successful relationship. So my hope is that this can be a reflection for you when you think about your own relationship. Where am I at? How would I rate myself in all nine of these categories? And what does that mean about our relationship overall? So let's get to it. Hi, I'm Regina Boyd, licensed marriage and family therapist and licensed mental health counselor, and your host of the Connecting Out Loud podcast. Here, we talk about connections with our families as they relate to our mental health and Catholic faith, all while connecting you with those you love the most. Thanks for joining me for this episode. Let's dive in. Okay, we are talking about the sound relationship house theory, and this was developed by doctors John and Julie Gottman. They are a married couple. They're both therapists. They are leading researchers in the field of marriage and family therapy, particularly couples work. And they are a wealth of knowledge. I'm huge fans and I've you know done uh, trainings with them of working with couples and approaching therapy this way. So I want to talk about the Sound Relationship House and they actually have an image to go along with this. I know this is a podcast, so you can't see it. So if you're able to click on the show notes, I'm going to link to an image for you so you can see what they have. They actually have a picture of a house and the way I like to describe it is it's almost kind of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If you're familiar with that pyramid, or if you think about the food pyramid where you have, you know, wheat and grains on the bottom of the pyramid, then you move up to vegetables and then fruit. And, you know, at the very top is candy. <laughs> so similar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we have our basic needs that need to be met as human beings, food, shelter, clothing. And then as you move up the pyramid, you can get to more existential uh, beliefs about uh, the meaning of life or seeking out um, pleasurable things, those types of things. So um, the sound relationship house in my mind is kind of similar. I don't know if the Gottmans would say this, but in my mind, it's similar in that there are levels to the house. So it looks like an actual house. And the first three levels are the foundation, if you will. They all pertain to friendship. So we'll start with level one. We'll work out, we'll, we'll work our way up and then go from there. And my hope is that as we talk through these, you will be able to have an opportunity to kind of reflect on each category and see what, how, where your relationship's at in that sense. And if it's something that you might want to pay more attention to or take a closer look at. So the first level of the sound relationship house at the very bottom, if you look at this image here is called in build building love maps. It's the foundation of the house. And 
When I mean by love maps, if you don't know, you can look back at my previous episode. I did a whole episode on love maps. I don't remember the number, but it was pretty early on. Let me see here. I'm going to look it up. Yes. So if you go back to episode eight, you can hear all about love maps and hear a lot more detail about what love maps are. But in a nutshell, it's the roadmap of your beloved's inner world. Um, It's being able to develop a love map is all about asking open-ended questions, but it's how knowledgeable are you about the other person in your relationship? And the key here is being able to update that knowledge. So how knowledgeable are you about, you know, who their best friends are, what their current favorite show is? What is it that's plaguing them in life right now? What are they most stressed about? How many details do you have in your mind at the front of your mind about what's going on in your beloved's inner world? And the about keeping it up to date is these things can often change over time, which can be a pitfall for some couples. So in the beginning of a relationship, when things are exciting and fun, it's really easy to have an intricate detailed love map of your partner. However, over time, as life becomes more busy and you get more responsibilities, it's a lot more challenging to make sure you stay up to date on those things because we change as people over time. We grow and we develop. And so it's important to remember to keep that in mind and to keep that up to date. So that's level one, building love maps. Then we phase into level two, which is sharing fondness and admiration. And this is one of the antidotes to the four horsemen, which we also talk about in previous episodes. So make sure you go back to listen to episodes 12 and 13 part of that making marriage work, what makes marriage work series. I touch on all four of those horsemen, which are the four keys that can help lead to divorce in a relationship. But sharing fondness and admiration is the antidote or the counterpart to one of those four horsemen, which is contempt. Fondness and admiration is about changing the habit of your mind from scanning the environment, so to speak, in your relationship for mistakes and correcting them to scanning the environment for what your beloved is doing right. And so you're always looking for things to acknowledge and appreciate. You're building that culture of appreciation. You're remembering memories about your relationship with fondness. You show affection verbally, physically, whatever that is. Um, You have a, you, you have the ability to show some respect for the other person. Wow. I really admire how hard you worked, how much you persisted on that house project, or I really appreciate how how patient you are with the kids. So all of that goes into the fondness and admiration system. And it's really important and crucial, if you will. That's part of why it's part of that foundational level of friendship. Having the love maps is great and knowing a lot about someone is great, but it only gets you so far if you're not able to show admiration, fondness, and respect for that other person as well. And so it's really crucial to um, have some admiration for the person you're with, I would hope, right? It doesn't always happen 100% of the time, but ideally this is something we should be striving towards. The third level of the house, the third story is turning towards, and this caps off our friendship quadrant, if you will. When we talk about turning towards, we're referencing bids for connection. 
What is a bid for connection? It is something when you want to have an emotional connection with your beloved or with anyone, you might express that in a different way. And we think of a bid as expressing an emotional need. So it could be something as simple as, oh, wow, um, look at that model of, you know, the Honda Civic or something like that. Look at that new model. It's so nice. I didn't realize how nice it would look in person. You guys are driving down the road and you just see one drive by or you see one in a parking lot and you say, wow, look at that. That is called a bid for connection because in that moment, you are hoping to connect with the other person and you're assuming you'll receive some type of response. And what's interesting here is that they're, the other person receiving that comment about the Civic has a few options. They can either turn towards the bid, which means they can respond. They can say, oh, wow, yeah, that is really nice. Wow, that's sharp. You know, what a great looking car. You know, no wonder you want it. <laughs> um, or they can turn against the bid. So they could either say, oh gosh, there you go again, hollering about that Honda Civic. You know, you know, we don't have money for that. Why do you keep bringing it up? You know, it's time to get over it, time to grow up, be a little more mature. So you can turn against it and kind of respond with animosity, or you could completely ignore the bid, not respond, just, you know, stay on your phone, not being paying attention and zoned out in your own thoughts, not even acknowledge that there was a comment about the car in the first place. And what's interesting about this is when couples turn towards these bids, they're sort of building money. They're setting money away in their emotional bank account. And if you are able to turn towards those bids, that is going to be a great way of laying a strong emotional connection for your relationship. It's really interesting how so many small things add up to little things. And in this case, it really adds up. So those are the first three stories, building love maps, sharing fondness and admiration and turning towards. Now we get to the fourth story, which is the positive perspective. And when we talk about the positive perspective, uh, one of the terms that the Gottmans use is called positive sentiment override. And the easiest way I like to think about this is rose colored glasses. Does someone look at their relationship with rose colored glasses or do they have gray tinted glasses on? And this can really determine a lot of things in a relationship, including positivity when a couple is trying to solve problems, when they're having a discussion. So it doesn't have to be a big, heavy duty problem. It can just be, you know, how do we want to uh, irrigate the yard or, you know, redo the yard, you know, re-landscape it, whatever it is. Um, any type of problem solving type of discussion, it can, positive perspective can e either influence that conversation for positive or for negative. And it also has to do with repair attempts. So in the midst of conflict, how likely is someone going to attempt to make a repair in the midst of conflict? So either to apologize or sometimes that can come as a joke, but it has to be a, a properly timed joke, right? We know sometimes a joke in the middle of the argument doesn't always go well, but that still counts as a repair attempt, as long as it's not sarcasm, as a way to cool the argument down, to shift things away from the, in, the intensity. And here's the key, how well-received 
those repair attempts are. So if a relationship has the positive perspective in it and that positive sentiment override, when somebody tries to make a repair attempt in the middle of a conflict and saying, you know what, I'm sorry, I overreacted, that's going to be well-received. It's going to be like, that response will be like, wow, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah. I've, you know, I've been really stressed too. You know, let's just, um, talk about this later or talk about this tomorrow. Whereas if there's negative sentiment override, then you're more likely to respond in a negative way or interpret that apology differently. Yep. There you go again, making excuses as always. Yeah. Oh, sure. You're sorry. Oh, you're sorry. Now, now that, you know, you can see that I'm upset. Why does it always have to get to this point for you to actually hear me? And so you can see the difference there and positive sentiment override and negative sentiment override are really, really significant in a relationship. And the Gottmans believe that it's not possible to change the positive perspective or negative perspective without addressing or changing the quality of a couple's friendship. And so that's why I talked about those first three stories as linked together, because without the love maps, without fondness and admiration, without turning towards, if those are not solid, your positive perspective is not going to be solid or positive either something to think about and consider. So if you're ever concerned about tension or feeling a lot of negativity in the air in your relationship, so to speak, go back to the basics, go back to friendship and see how that helps. The fifth story is managing conflict. And this is probably one of my more favorite stories. There's a few bullet points you'll notice in there. So there's some categories to managing conflict that are important to touch on here. So when managing conflict, we're going to want to pay attention to those four horsemen that I mentioned earlier, whether that's defensiveness, criticism, contempt, or stonewalling. We want to pay attention what types of escalations happen in someone's conflict and what is the story behind some of those triggers. So if you're in the middle of an argument and it escalates at some point and someone gets really upset, what was the story behind that? What was it that triggered from you know, a relatively calm argument to take it to another level to where feelings got hurt or it was intense. And in managing conflict, we know there are two types of problems. There's solvable problems and there's perpetual problems. And I don't want to get into that too much now, but it's all comes down to how a couple has an argument. So Whether or not you have an argument is not a big deal. Honestly, everybody has arguments. It's very normal for couples to have disagreements, but the trick is how you go about having the disagreement. Are you able to dialogue about those disagreements and have conflict in a way that accepts the other person's influence? Are you willing to accept their influence when you're deciding about plans for the weekend or purchasing a new grill or whatever the item may be? Are you able to accept the person's influence? Are you able to dialogue in a calm way or in a way that is not antagonistic or jabbing in some way? And if a conflict gets to the point where somebody is overwhelmed or flooded or shutting down, are you able in that moment to self-soothe, to calm yourself down so that you can revisit the conversation at a later point? And so that's the key difference. 
It's not about having the conflicts, about how you manage it. And the couples who really thrive and have happy relationships are able to do all of those things. They start a conversation calmly. They accept influence. They accept repair. And they are able to calm themselves down if they find themselves getting to a place of over, being overwhelmed in the midst of that. Now we'll move on to making life dreams and aspirations come true. We're getting to the top of our pyramid, if you will. So this level of the sound relationship house is partially about your dreams as a couple, um, intentionally building fun, play, exploration, and adventure into your relationship. So it's about as a couple, how do you have those aspects of play, fun, and exploration, but also as a partner, how are you supporting your beloved in realizing some of their own life dreams and what you can do to do that? So this can be really tricky because it can be a point of gridlock for a lot of couples where they don't realize that they're arguing about deeper values in this. If there were a disagreement about what types of dreams we want to aspire for. And so it's definitely something worth exploring in therapy. If this is a point of contention for couples and we'll get to creating shared meaning. Now we have the attic of the house where people either intentionally create or do not create a sense of shared meaning in their life together. And I think as Catholics, as Christians, there's a lot here that, that we can grab from as far as creating shared meaning. So we know that a relationship involves building a life together and this life is full of meaning and a couple moves through time together, how they prioritize that time, their resources, um, the stories they tell one another about their lives, their culture, their ancestors, their beliefs, their legacy, the way they decide to have things in their events or lives have meaning. So they sort of create the shared meaning system over time. And this is sort of the symbolic meanings of life. Many of our ideas about emotion and the relationship, when we think about the idea of what a relationship year is. So this can include formal rituals, informal rituals. Um, you know, how do we celebrate birthdays and holidays, but also what do we do when somebody is sick or something like that. All of that makes up the culture or shared meaning of a relationship. And that is something that can be really fun, but also really challenging. So even if you have a couple who comes from the same racial, ethnic, geographic background, two families coming together, it will still be a very different, completely new, unique unrepeatable relationship when those two people come together in marriage. And so um, every relationship, so to speak, is sort of this cross-cultural experience. And that's what shared meaning is all about. How do you, as that couple coming together in that newly formed bond, create your own sense of shared meaning? What does that look like for you? And the coolest thing is that's so different for everybody. And then the last two parts of the sound relationship house are the walls of the house, trust and commitment. So on either side in the image there, you have trust on one side of, and the other wall is commitment and trust is just that confidence. You know that that other person has your back, that they're going to be for you, be there for you no matter what. 
and commitment is similar. Believing that this relationship, this person, I'm, I'm here. It's a lifelong journey for better or for worse. And part of that implies cherishing your beloved's positive qualities, nurturing gratitude about being with that person or what that other person has, you know, being grateful of how that person has enhanced your life. And so as you can imagine, without the walls of trust and commitment, a house cannot stand, the relationship cannot stand. stand. And so I really love that analogy. When we think about our relationships as a house, it really gives some visualization to how each part plays a role and how it's so integral um, to that. And, you know, maybe as you're listening to this, you might be thinking about some areas that you need to remodel. Do you need to do a complete gutting of your house? Or maybe there's just a few things when you get some light fixtures here and there to enhance it. But that's a little bit of the sound relationship house. And whenever I'm working with a couple, these are the things we're looking at together to figure out what are strengths that you already have as a couple, what are those areas that really are significant for you, and then what are those areas that we want to focus on and working towards improving if you feel like that's something you need to work on. So hope that you found that helpful. Again, check out the show notes to read more about the Sound Relationship House and to see what that visualization is. And I will see you guys next time. Oh, and um, I'll also link to downloading um, my free ebook, 10 uh, Ways to Strengthen Your Marriage. So check that out. And we're looking forward to seeing you guys next time. If you have enjoyed this episode, you can find more Connecting Out Loud content on our Facebook and Instagram pages. As always, I appreciate each and every review. So if you can take some time to rate and review this show, I read each one and I love hearing from you. Be intentional and connect out loud.